This I Work For Him podcast is brought to you by the Pocket Testament League. Visit ptl.org for practical resources and encouragement to help you share your faith. ptl.org. Hey, welcome to I Work For Him this afternoon. However you're listening, just know that we prayed for you today, that something we say today will cause you to dig deeper into your relationships that you have in your office, whatever that office may be. Your office may actually be out in a parking lot selling used cars. Your office may be up in a, uh, on a pole connected up electricity. Your office may be digging ditches somewhere or running power somewhere. It may be at the top of a really cool, tall building. Whatever your office may be, just know there are people around you. They need to meet Jesus, and you may be their only chance at meeting Jesus. Jesus. That's right. So one of the things, Jim, you know, I was just thinking, I don't know why I thought this, but um, there you go. Thinking again, thinking on the radio. again, it could even be um, a mom who's homeschooling her kids and her office and is full of is three-year-olds full of her. <laughs> yes, exactly. So we are grateful for every single um, person and the calling that God has given each and every person. And our desire is that everyone that's listening understands that God has a calling on their life and that they use it to the best of their ability and steward it well. So let us know about it. Let us know what you are doing in your workspace and how um, God is using that. And you can let us know by going to our website, iworkforhim.com. That's iwork, the number four, him.com. Go to our contact page and there you can send us an email, a message, and just let us, you know, get a little peek into your life and what God is doing there because Other people need to hear that. We're happy to read those on the air and share them with our listeners. Hey, we're on location today in Dallas, Texas, courtesy of the Christian Leadership Alliance. Check them out online. Christian, did I say that right? Christian Leadership Alliance. You did. I got different things in my head to think of ChristianLeadershipAlliance.org. Yep. The Outcomes Conference comes one, once a year, but Christian Leadership Alliance is a gathering of hundreds and thousands of Christian, Christ-centered, focused, nonprofit organizations learning how to be excellent in what they do and to be efficient and effective in what they do. You should join the Christian Leadership Alliance because the access just to the training materials is spectacular. And they brought us here to capture a few of the behind-the-scenes stories of what's going on here at their annual conference. Today, we get to talk with Arthur Satterwhite. You can check him out online, Arthur Satterwhite. Dot com. He's from Young Life. You're going to hear more of his story about how he's putting his faith into action every day at Young Life. And we're also going to talk about dealing with generational diversity. Wow, there's some power in those words. Arthur Satterwhite, welcome to I Work For Him. Oh, thank you guys. I'm just happy to be here to be joining you. I mean, the conversation that you guys are hosting and facilitating, that this is an important one. So I'm just grateful to contribute. <laughs> well, I, I hope you still feel really happy about it after at the end of the show that you've had a lot of fun. That's what we want to do. We want to have a good time talking about some things that, you know, generational diversity is one of those things where so many people are like, wow, how do you deal with old people who don't even understand technology and young people who that's all they think of as technology and everywhere in between. That's a complicated conversation, but we always ask this question before we even get started. How did you become a Jesus follower? Oh, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, if anything, that's the, the question, right? That's what matters. That's know, right. When did I come mm. to know Jesus? Um, so I was raised in a house uh, where my mother and father were devout Christians. Um, I mean, so much so that I was in church, you know, four out of seven days a week with my mom. Oh, was, so you had a drug problem growing up. Hey, you you drugged to church Sunday morning, Sunday uh-huh. night, Wednesday <laughs> morning. I got it. Okay. It's in the choir, the youth choir, youth mi- oh, all yeah. of it. Um, but for me, when I was a kid, um, as much as I was in the church, and my mother was praying for me, my father was praying for me, um, it, it, 
I had a head knowledge, but it never fully connected with my heart. So the way I like to tell the story, um, I was saved at 10. I met Christ um, at a, a Christian soccer camp in New Jersey. Um, but I w- then I was uh, baptized at 14 when I actually took that next step. In me, in my head, it was just checking off you know things on the box, right? sure. on the list. Okay, I did that. I did that. Um, but when I graduated high school, um, that was my point of departure from the church. Mm-hmm. Um, because at the time, again, I knew the verses. I won all the Bible memory uh, con- <laughs> contest, um, but it still lacked that realness to me. Um, to have a relationship with something that I couldn't see that wasn't tangible, a person who supposedly loved me and did all this for me, um, that I couldn't feel and hug, um, it still felt a little foreign. Um, it really wasn't until you know, later on in my professional career uh, when I actually found my way back to the church at a point in crisis. You know, my life was falling apart, and um, I just remember thinking at the time, like, man, I could really use a pick me up. Hey, there's some people down the block over there at this church that every time I come in there, they smile. Arthur, hey, what's up? We love you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I could use a little hug right now, and um, started going with my mother. Of course, my mother the entire time, you know, was you know, every Sunday. Hey, you want to come to church? With you me? say, what's up, Arthur? Exactly. I love you. Exactly. Um, And um, as I was coming back into the church, I was accosted by, uh, and I say accosted intentionally, um, (laughs) by two youth pastors, because that's what they do, um, at the end of church in the the actual um, four-year area, um, they, you know, just approached me and were like, hey, can you come hand out pizza? No, of course. You know, what am I going to say? No. There's people there. uh, About 20, 26, 27. Um, Mm. I just found my way back. And just to, yep. before I get too far away, I was never atheist. Mm-hmm. It was never that I didn't believe in anything. Um, it was more, I just had questions and I wasn't getting the answers that I needed um, to really answer those questions, to, 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 to make that connection, like to, to, to really help me see beyond what I knew and could you know, read in a book and what I could logically explain um, to make that jump from, hey, this makes sense to now you're asking me to believe the mystery, something that I don't understand. Um, I needed something more than just, hey, you know, understand, you know, memorize John 3.16 and, mm-hmm. you know, do these five steps, pray this sinner's. No, I needed somebody to show me the, the experience of it. Um, and it was it was there as I started getting back with this youth group, um, getting involved there first, just handing out pizza and cleaning up to sitting in the back and listening um, to actually observing, watching the young people. It was actually them. It wasn't the Bible as much as I loved the Bible. It wasn't my prayer life because mm-hmm. Lord knows I didn't have one. Um, it was actually seeing these kids, these teenagers get at their age what I didn't get when I was their age. All of a sudden made me, made me step back and be like, whoa, what's going on here? Maybe I missed something. You know, maybe this last 10 years, I just wasn't looking in the right place. There's something that they are getting that I didn't. And as I started to just get to know them and listen to their experience and, you know, start to you know, plug into my own, um, next thing you know, I'm answering questions at the, the youth group. And then I'm, you know, giving the message at the youth group. And next thing you know, I'm a youth leader and then a young adult minister. And, you know, you know slowly but surely, God just started elevating me into Christian leadership. And I find myself where I am today. Whatever prompted I mean, you just said you just got your doctorate just recently from Regent University. Mm-hmm. Love those folks at Regent University. They're really they're, they're, they're 
I mean, you got some phenomenal things going on there. You got a doctor. What was your doctorate in again? Strategic leadership. Strate- yeah, but it was more detailed than that. You said your dissertation was leadership in the context of a multi-generational, finish it up. <laughs> yeah, so, so my uh, dissertation was exploring leadership in the context of generationally diverse environments, primarily primarily looking at the church. Generationally um, diverse environments. Like what, what better place is there a church when we see you know, this just congregation, this coming together of everything from newborns to senior citizens. Of course, we know in the workplace we're starting to have that conversation around sure. you know, multiple, you know, namely four, if not five generations, trying to figure out how do we just coexist, how do we work. Um, but the church is a place that we often look at, like, that's nothing new. This is what we do. You know, we raise babies and we care for our senior citizens mm-hmm. and everybody in between. But yet our churches are in many ways are struggling trying to figure out how do we you know, stop millennials, this exodus of millennials, right? Or you know, even as we start to think about Gen Z that's coming through, how do we cater to a generation that we don't yet fully understand um, when a lot of our churches are still you know, average age 50 plus? Right. Um, how, how do we you know, make sure that even though this is our norm in our mindset right. and our generation, that it's not to the exclusion of others below, so... Well, and, and God designed that multi-generational diversity. I mean, that was it was His intention. Mm-hmm. I mean, He wanted young people to be hung, hanging around old people, and and learning from their mistakes. I mean, that was what God designed. Yet we have, as a four walls church, done a pretty good job of segmenting the generations so they all hang out with each other instead of hanging out intergenerationally. Come on. So where do we, so where do we solve that problem? Come on. Well, I you, bet he has a hundred so hundreds pages, of pages, how many pages that we can read about it, right? That was only ten, you know. <laughs> 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 Whatever. Times thirty, yeah, thirty. Uh, yeah, that's right. So wow. thirty thousand yeah. words later, but it it, it was fun because in in that project in that process, I was able to interview a number of just A list leaders, names that you know we all know, you know, Eugene Cho, Kara Powell, just names that um, are heavy hitters in you know Christendom in our space. Um, and to be able to listen to them because here's people who are doing it well and doing it right yeah. um, but needing to be mindful of how does that apply to us we realize the context that we all serve in are different mm-hmm. um, but we're excited about where we're going you are actually a pretty new board member of the Christian Leadership Alliance right? correct I'm still wondering today are they still like hey what do we do here? <laughs> no, <but laughs> it's, it's a you've, privilege you've got this this recent doctorate from Regent University another free plug right here and I work for him uh, about the just just church in the context of a multi-generational perspective because people who are traditionalists look at worship mm-hmm. look at the church service completely different than those that are gen zers but you also spend amount of time a fair amount of time with the american bible society mm-hmm. you, you got some you got some background there so why don't you talk to us about at what point in time did you realize that god cared as much about your work whether you were a pulpit pastor or whatever you've been doing. I mean, Mm -hmm. even as a student, a doctoral student, to know that that work was significant. Talk to us about that realization that you realized there wasn't a second tier in the kingdom. Um, I'd say that I was introduced to this idea of calling and vocation late in life. Um, It wasn't until about 2011, so only about six or seven years ago, or actually seven, (laughs) eight years ago. There you go. (laughs) That, you know, even that that, that concept of calling and vocation um, was introduced to me. So before that, you know, when I started out right out of college, I was in real estate property management. Um, It was in the midst of that work that I found my way back to the church. Um, And at the time, as I was 
growing in leadership within the church, um, was feeling some somewhat disconnected from the work I was doing in real estate. Um, and because I didn't understand calling a vocation, my thought was, well, I'll move back to Jersey. I'll keep doing this real estate because it pays the bills. It's, it paid well. Um, mm-hmm. But I'll, this way I can do more work in the church because that's where ministry happens. <laughs> right? And there are 4 million people right now listening to the show today going, that's exactly how I feel. Exactly. But there are 150 million Jesus followers that are feeling exactly the Come same on. thing. Come on. And that's that's what calling a vocation, when I was introduced to it, just it was a mind blow for me because it was like, wait, uh, God has a calling on my life that, you know, I'm, just because I may not be in the pulpit of this church, it doesn't mean my ministry stops at the doors of the church. No. Yeah. If you're an accountant, if you're a tax you know person, if you're a CEO, whatever you do in life, if you're a teacher, that's your ministry. That's your vocation. That's what God has called you to. You're called to be the salt and light, hands and feet of Christ in that space and to to own it you're the disciple that god has raised up there so were you able to then even in the real estate business um was there a time when you were able to kind of switch that thinking actively um towards the end you know i I started just wearing my my heart on my sleeve wearing jesus on my sleeve where i would just be there and my goal was hey i just want to be that light here in this office while i'm here um looking back on it i wish i understood calling a vocation when i was there because i may not have stepped out of that well that's what i was gonna ask why the heck did you leave because I didn't, I didn't, for me, it was just like my calling or at the time, like I want to do ministry and ministry happens in the church. So I want to go be more in the church. Yep. So that's why I left it initially. Um, but looking back on it, if I had understood this, um, I can't say that I still wouldn't have left because mm-hmm. my time at American Bible Society, you know, equipped me and prepared me for even my work that I'm doing now with mm-hmm. Young Life. However, uh, there, there. I, I want to encourage anybody that's in that space that may not be, you know, feel called to be a preacher, to be a pastor, to be a minister in the sense that we define ministry in many of our spaces. No, be what God. You know, go do what God has called you to do in business, as an entrepreneur, as an educator, whatever it is. Do that because God's going to use you mightily. Your work. Uh, one of the best gospel messages I've ever heard was by a man named Devon Franklin. He's oh, a Hollywood producer. Yes. Um, he got a broke, big movie coming out this summer. He does. Uh, broke down the gospel yeah. using the metaphor of Holly, Hollywood and producing a movie in a way that was just so clear that was just like, wow. Like, if that's not a pure picture of, no, this is you bringing the gospel, bringing Jesus into that space, a space that we don't often you know, associate with, with Christ and with Jesus and with Christendom. You know, no, no, he made it crystal clear. No, Christ is in this. God is sovereign. He's over it. Why do we struggle? You got a doctorate from a Christian university. Did they ever mention to you, Jesus was a business guy before he became an itinerant preacher? Come on. Did they ever? How in, many? You got, school? You, you got a doctorate. <laughs> We did in school, and they, but I, they did. They I, actually said that. I mean, in, back in seminary, we talked about that. But um, again, I didn't go to a Christian you know, undergrad. Okay, um, so well, you don't course, see that. Well, coming I'm out talking of those at Regent University. Did they teach you that Jesus spent, you know, ele- ten elevenths of his lifetime mm-hmm. as a business guy in the small entrepreneurial world, Absolutely. as opposed to one one eleventh of his life as an itinerant preacher. Absolutely. I mean, that's in the, the heart, their, their, their motto of who they are. You're raising Christian leaders to change, transform the world. Um, so every class, every concept that we went through in class, even now that I teach as an adjunct there, um, it's about, you know, don't just give us, uh, you know, the theory of whatever that industry or focus is. 
you know, you give us a Christian perspective. How did, mm. how does this apply? What's the biblical, you know, metaphor? What's the, the connection point? Because it's not right. good just to be an exceptional leader. Um, that what's an exceptional leader with a Christian perspective do? That's what transforms the world. Yeah. And that's one of the things we love about Regent University is the fact that they get that connection and that we pray that these future generations don't even need to listen to a radio show Amen. like this because they already get <laughs> that Jesus is a part of every aspect and every moment of their day. Sure, but the world still needs you too. I'm just saying. Uh, okay, well, who knows what that, that next chapter We're will be. We're not done with the show right? yet. You may change your mind. So, so speaking of, you know, your whole journey, um, and we are talking today with Arthur Satterwhite, and um, I want to, I'm going to give it away if I say that you're with Young Life, but that's what we want to talk about next. Mm-hmm. But we are at the Outcomes Conference um, hosted here by the Christian Leadership Alliance, and you... Um, alluded to the fact that you've, you were in real estate, you went to Regent, you got your doctorate, you've been other places. What does the Lord have you doing on a day-to-day basis now? So right now I have the pleasure, and I'm new to this. I've only been in the role for about five months. Rookie. Rookie, yep, yep, still on the front end. <laughs> still hazing me a little bit. Um, so I'm the vice president of multi-ethnic ministries at Young Life, um, and I have the pleasure of leading a team that has really uh, been tasked, uh, been invited by the organization to come alongside the ministry to help them see what they can see, understand why that is, and figure out strategies of how to, uh, of how to get around it so that we can reach more kids in communities of color. Because the point is we want to see every kid in Christ. Right. Um, and it looks differently. The work has to look differently to reach people that are different, that look different, that believe different, that uh, come from a different background because the context matters. We have to contextualize the work so that we can help them. It's kind of like Paul in Acts 17, right, when he's coming to this Athenian community. Um, they've been worshiping. Right, oh, yeah. but then there was this one plaque that said, "You know, unknown God," and he saw in that moment, "Okay, I need to help them understand that who they've been worshiping." He went to proclaim to them that the unknown God was actually the God. It was right. Jesus, and that's the work we got to do. And if we're going to an inner city urban community, uh, whether we're going to African American community or a Hispanic community, or we're going to you know an Anglo community, where, wherever that is around the country, um, we need to make sure that the the message, the gospel itself, doesn't change. Mm -hmm. but how we present it, how we build those relationships and earn the right to share the the gospel with that kid needs to look different. Well, Mm -hmm. and that contextualization, that's something that we don't talk a lot because that's too many syllables typically on the show. But when you look at the kid that grows up in rural America versus the kid that grows up in urban America in New York City, Mm -hmm. those contexts are so different. I mean, the, guy, the, the kid in urban in uh, rural America understands family. Mm-hmm. The kid in urban America doesn't necessarily understand even what family looks like, an extended family looks like, or it, it, or the the context is totally different mm-hmm. because extended family could mean everybody on the block. Come on, versus in rural America, the block is they don't have any neighbors. No, they don't have any neighbors because <laughs> exactly. they live on a, they live on a section of land. So, exactly. and people in urban America don't even know what a section of land is. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so but let's talk. But your your focus is on. The, the the generational diversity. Mm-hmm. Now you're talking about our whole cultural diversity. Mm-hmm. So you mix those two together. I mean, what's the solution? Sure. Because the body of Christ is supposed to be the solution. Jesus is the answer to all the questions that mm-hmm. the culture is asking today. How do we bring that solution together? Because the media does a really good job at driving sure. um, a wedge. Mm-hmm. But Jesus 
does a phenomenal job of healing the wedge. How do we do that? In a minute or less, tell me how we solve these problems. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the simple answer is you know be more like Jesus, right? Isn't that mm-hmm. you know as we grow in Christ, we should look more like Christ. So, what did Christ look like? What we see in the Bible is here's a. Uh, a man, you know, Christ, you know, God incarnate as a man um, that did more listening and asking questions than he did yeah. actually preaching. And I'd like to argue that he did that because he was being sensitive to who's talking to him, who's he engaging with, because if he's going to make sure that the gospel, what he was called to introduce this person to, the good news, he wanted to make sure it actually got through, it cut through whatever barrier, mm-hmm. whatever lens, whatever bias that they might have, so that they could experience him in his fullness as the good news, as that message. Well, Jesus was perfect at contextualizing sure. the message, sure, and he was phenomenal asking questions. Mm-hmm. Today we're talking with Ar- Arthur Satterwhite. He's been planted at Young Life. But he's been planted with some incredible wisdom that we're going to... He is going, in the next 30 minutes, he's going to solve the problems of generational diversity in the church and cultural diversity in our country and how the church can bring a solution. Arthur Satterwhite, welcome back to I Work For Him. So good to be here. You know, so one of the things I just want to... You just said he's going to solve the problem of generational (laughs) diversity. In 10 minutes. No, no, we got got the whole second half of the show. What I want to say is... (laughs) And help our listeners to be part of the solution. Mm-hmm. I really think that okay. because right. we ha- we point. just we have yeah. a great um, generational diversity of listeners, and um, I think that they want to know they're just ignorant. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, we're all ignorant, and I say that in a kind way um, that we just don't know what we don't know. We don't mm-hmm. even realize what we're doing. For instance, um, churches across this country set up small groups. By age, how does that help with our generational diversity? Come on, that's right. Okay, so solve the problems. Let's talk. Let's deal first with generational diversity. Sure. And, and I don't. I want to talk about. You said you did it within the context of the church, but I want to talk about because right now people entering the workforce is Gen Z. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're sixteen-year-old kids um, that are entering the workforce, and there are still people that are working in their eighties. So they will be very young traditionalists mm-hmm. still left. Mm-hmm. How do we get the old generations to appreciate the kids with the young ideas? Because these kids with young ideas, they are not going to adopt a workplace or a church place that looks and thinks the way that the traditionalists do. What's the solution? Um, I think the first thing, uh, one really practical thing that I would uh, that I often offer to any leader that I'm speaking to, organizations, whatever they are, church. Um, Remember, you were young once. Oh, and remember! This, I love I love the Bible because it's so applicable on so many fronts. You know, in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun, and this is a primary right. example of that. <laughs> Solomon was very frustrated when he wrote that book. <laughs> exactly. Well, our old our older leaders they were young once, and when they were young, they complained about the older generation above them that didn't get them, yep. that did, did, wanted to force whatever their beliefs and values were down their throats. Mm-hmm. It's nothing new. We're doing the same thing to the generation. I'm a millennial right now. We're going to do it to Gen Z. I'm already calling it. I'm I'm going to be guilty of it. I'm sorry. Hopefully, I'll be better about it because I've done some research on it. But but it's, <laughs> but it's it not your natural tendency. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Just remember, you were young once. And as you remember that you were young once, remember, you brought some new things to this world. You helped to, to reshape culture, to you know, help your older generations above you, to reconnect with a changing world. That's what the younger generations do. They may be innovating, but they're also helping us to connect in different ways, in new ways, in the ways that that are the ways of our time. So there's value there. 
but we also need our younger generation and this is where I love you know the work of say Phyllis Tickle um, if you've read her stuff um, The Great Emergency wrote a book she used the metaphor of a boat tied to a dock um, the boat is filled with really that younger generation that's trying to get out there to the sea and you know to, to chart a new course and to define to explore to go out there and you know find new lands um, but there's that rope that's anchoring them to the dock and that's the older generation which is keeping them from getting too far out lest mm-hmm. they get caught in the waves or they get you know if there, a storm comes and you know the, the the boat capsizes keeping them connected um and oftentimes the picture unfortunately is that you know the boat wants to pull them back too hard you're getting too far and the boat itself is saying no you're pulling us back we want to get so we, we need to figure out how do we find that balance how do we find that tension and um the simple answer is it starts with just reconnecting learning how do we listen to each other how do we listen to each other not so that we can find ways to you know get our argument across but how do we listen so that we can actually understand why do you think that way mm-hmm. and when you did that what was behind that what do you mean by that or, or, or when i said this and you took it that way well, this is actually what i meant it's, it's learning to <laughs> be in community you know foreign concepts to socialize to, to reconnect as just people who respect and love each other so how are you, you- Using all of this incredible wisdom you've gained and you're learning on a day-to-day basis at Young Life, mm-hmm. because you got a generation of. I mean, how young are the youngest kids that you're touching with the ministry of Young Life? So our youngest that we reach down is about middle school. We okay. call it that wildlife, and you know that's still <laughs> that's, that's, a normal. that's a good name. <laughs> Wild, really good untamed brain life. Yes, okay. <laughs> Only because we were there once. Oh, we, we know that full well. <laughs> and I taught seventh and eighth grade math one time for a year, so Absolutely. I have context. Absolutely. Okay, so youngest, and then the oldest are how old college age in okay. in our our target our age so 12 to 25 yes pretty okay. much okay mm-hmm. so how are you taking what you're learning right now mm-hmm. and instilling in those younger generations the appreciation of the old guys well i'd say we're one of the things i think that makes young life unique is that at least on the outward expression of our ministry so when we're going and reaching that middle school kid or that high school kid or that college age kid we're already naturally wired to contextualize the work for mm-hmm. them our our team they're meeting kids in the schools on the street corners in parks wherever that kid is we're going to live life with them again so that we earn the right i'd say where i'm putting this to work is really more on the business side of things as we look to raise up leaders um, who can do that work? You know, our average age uh, of our leader is is in that twenty something right now, and which is good because that's a younger generation. Mm-hmm. But then, as you start to get higher up in leadership, again, that age diversity starts to you know get a little bit more you know mono <laughs> mono focused. But um, I, I'd say there's where we're you know learning to how do we listen? How do we understand the the leader that we want to recruit that's coming out of college? Um, what are their needs? How do we continue Contextualize the ministry for them so that you know as we're preparing them and equipping them to join the work um, that we're doing so in a way that we're setting them up for success we're creating an environment that um, is conducive to who they are and what they are called to so Arthur um, as you are working with young life and um, trying to figure it out on the back end like you said you know with the the business aspect of it how do you get leaders though um, Oh, I don't have to become like the younger generation. How do I relate to them, but mm-hmm. still be who I am? Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you t- how are you telling people to do that? Um, I'd say that my research points to this simple fact that we have. You know, naturally, I think as people um, tried to do, or we when we when we're most drawn to somebody, it's mm-hmm. usually because of this one thing. 
we see them as authentic, as real. Mm. They're, they're not false. They're not fake. They're not trying to be something that they're not. It's you know, when we sense that authenticity, yeah. then we, we're endeared to them. It's, it doesn't matter if they're 50 years our senior or you know whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think that's the, the leading driver that one of the things we encourage our people is like, no, go be yourself. Um, whether you're a club leader that's in the second phase of your life, you know, in a second, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you can still go and reach that middle school kid because we're not asking you to go out there and do the Dougie, you know, or you know, to, to do whatever it is, to, to, to be a Beyonce we're too fan. Old, we don't even know what that means, right? <laughs> that's, not, that's not what we're calling you to do. We're calling Good. you to bring the gospel to them. Mm-hmm. And the best way to do that is just to show up, just to be there, just to be yourself. People are calling in. They want to know what the Dougie is. <laughs> <laughs> I would say Google it, but you may come across some other things. Yeah, so don't, so don't Google <laughs> it. Okay. Okay. So, but, but what I'm hearing you say is to be authentic, be myself, but be a good listener. And we're, I think respect. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing you say that too, mm-hmm. that in both ways, yes. this is a, a mutual thing where you're respecting the student and where they're coming from, and then they're respecting whoever that leader may be, whether they're only mm-hmm. a few years older or 10 years older or 20 years older or even more. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. So, so let me ask this question. How has your involvement with a Christian Leadership Alliance helped you become that better leader and be able to... I mean, you're mm-hmm. surrounded by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of members all across the country. How does your involvement in Christian Leadership Alliance help you to be a better leader understanding and helping others understand this whole generational diversity? Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say it's the exposure. Um, as one of the larger networks um, and really truly diverse networks in the sense of um, the types of industries, the broad scope of industry that is represented by its membership. You're exposed to all different types of leaders, shapes, sizes, colors, genders. You're exposed to such a broad variety that it helps bring you into content or contact with people from different contexts. Hmm. And and that is another key. So you people don't all think alike. Exactly. And which, mm. again, if you're trying to, to grow your generational diversity or your <laughs> cultural intelligence it's it's yes you can read a book um, you can go out, take an assessment, and see where your gaps are. Those are recommended, but nothing. Just as like with education, there's no greater multiplying factor than actually coming into the contact and having that exposure to being um, close to, even in relationship with someone who doesn't look like you, doesn't think like you, maybe comes from a different background. Because it just helps helps you not only come face to face with your own ignorance, um, but helps you to overcome it and learn what you don't know. Do you struggle at all with? Okay, so you talk about cultural intelligence. That was really a good, it's a good line. A tweetable tweet by <laughs> Arthur Satterwhite. Hashtag. I like it. Okay, so because a cultural intelligence goes into denominational uh, uh, context as well. Absolutely. Because you're grabbing kids that have grown up in, without church at all, all the way to kids that have gone into, see, you got evangelicals, charismatics, you got traditionalists, and, and nuns, and the nuns, mm-hmm. all in one context of young life. Yet the the commonality of all that, of course, is Jesus. Mm-hmm. How do you help bridge that cultural intelligence? Because you're dealing with religion there, sure, sure. trying to clean out the garbage that's been sent to them. Mm-hmm. How, how do you deal with that? Because the generational diversity takes that exponentially. Sure, sure. I'd say in our context with Young Life, um, we don't deal so much with the doctrinal difference because our 
our singular message is Jesus. We want to see every kid in awesome. Christ. Um, and because we're not the church, we don't can we don't confuse that. We don't. You, that's but that's a lot. What you just said is a lot. You are the church. You're not the four walls church. Sure, but you we're are not the, the church. But and I think but that's the institution where is an institution. You are the church. Don't sure, ever sure. say that again. Sure, sure. <laughs> forgive me. <laughs> He's trying to speak something into you. <laughs> yeah, I, I receive it. Um, but I would say that we don't want to be confused as the institutional church because um, mm. we see that having a, a still a key pillar place in society. Um, so we kind of see ourselves. We're not going after the kid that's in church. We're going after the kid that's not in church. Okay. Um, we we bridge. So if we're doing our job well, we're hopefully pointing kids back to the institution, back to hopefully communities that are healthy. We now we know that there are some very unhealthy communities out there. Sure. So we we don't want to hopefully point them to there. That's everywhere, like you said. Um, but. We want to bring them back. We want to you know, bring them back into a community so they're fully and well-connected, rooted um, in a Christ-following community where they're getting a Bible-based... Um, yeah. what, what's the greatest book you've read on generational diversity, eliminating these boundaries? This, uh, Ooh, eliminating the boundaries. I mean, Hayden Shawn, his work is one that comes to mind. Uh, if you just want to understand generations, there's a book by the Strauses um, where they talk about American history. I think it's called Generations, if I um, actually mm-hmm. absolutely remember. Mm-hmm. Want to know about millennials though and faith and Gen Z, unchristian, next Christian, mm-hmm. any of those? I would highly recommend to start there. You know, so Arthur, we um, have been all over the board, and you know, this it's a very diverse conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And we love the fact that we're getting the um, our listeners to just be exposed to the idea of. You know, they may be a different age than somebody that they're trying to relate to, give them some respect, show, listen to them, um, open up that door for conversation. And um, so what else would you like our listeners to hear today from your heart? Yeah, I, th- I think I would just, if, if we pulled back out, um, the broad idea of diversity, I think too often is becoming just a buzzword, right? Mm. Something that organizations sure are saying, hey, we need to do diversity. Churches are even starting to wrestle with how do we, are we multicultural? Are we multi-ethnic? Um, and I think, unfortunately, that conversation is often undermined because it starts and stops on gender and ethnicity. Mm. Two really important factors that we need to figure out because, you know, like the Bible says at the end, you know, every tribe, nation and tongue, we're going to be together. Right. So let's start that now. Um, but one thing that I'd like to remind people is that you know, the, while those are important, um, I think it, it's it's maybe more destructive or catalytic Um because uh, generational diversity um, shapes the cultural differences that happen on a generational level um, can sh- shape the lenses through which we even interpret those other things. If you were to ask... Give me an example of that because sure, there was sure. a lot. That was a big sentence you just said. Let's there. go back to the civil rights movement. Okay. You know, back Dr. King's around. Um, if, you, if you read up on that, what you saw in there was there was fractures even within the civil rights movement that were along generational lines. You had a younger generation that wanted to be more aggressive, wanted, wanted to be more active, wanted to take the fight to you know, the, the systems and the institutions versus an older generation, they wanted to be a little bit more diplomatic, wanted to be a little bit more political, wanted to you know, t- take it a little bit slower. Um, it, it's, it's the same thing. If you were to ask an African-American person today um, that's of a younger generation to talk about race and the systemic issues of our country, they're going to give you uh, one message. And you can ask an, an older person who's maybe lived through the civil rights and mm-hmm. you know, has experienced in a different context. They're going to give you a totally different answer. So here's two people from the same ethnicity having two different conversations potentially. Neither wrong, bringing different 
perspectives because they come from a different time, right. uh, a location in time that is framed how they see the world, how they interpret the things that are happening in the world. Um, and, and that's the subtle danger of the generational diversity offers if we're not mindful of it in any of these contexts, in any of these conversations. And that's a cultural a cultural context conversation within the black community, and then you got and, and, but and it's so different within the Latino community exactly. and the Asian community, even in the Anglo community, and, and even the white community, absolutely, because it depends on where they grew up. Mm-hmm. Maybe they grew up in the deep south, mm-hmm. or they grew up in Florida, which isn't the deep south, even though it's further south than the deep south. Absolutely, and, and you've got so you've got so many. I mean, the perspective of the Northeast versus the Upper Midwest where we grew up versus mm-hmm. California, mm-hmm. I mean, it's. Well, you know, Jim, it even reminds me, maybe this is, uh, I, I don't know, for, as an example, we had a neighbor who um, was from another country, and we were talking about a war, and he's like, you know, our version of what really happened is very different than what you mm-hmm. learn in America in history class. Mm-hmm. And so even because we have different lenses that we're looking exactly. through and different biases as exactly. well. All right, so I want you to give us some practical, tactical, factual, biblical stuff. I want some steps. Sure. Some simple things that we can take. Because I, I believe that the church needs to lead in this, mm-hmm. not only in dealing with generational diversity, but of course the cultural diversity. Sure, sure. And, and just to remind our audience, I don't say racial diversity because we all track back to Noah and his three sons and their three wives. We all are the same race, but there's a cultural difference. I mean, mm-hmm. and there's lots of there's cultural differences within all of the different communities: the Absolutely. black community, Latino community, the Asian community, the white community. There's I want to talk about some practical steps. Mm-hmm. How can we, as Jesus followers, lead and bring in healing here? Absolutely. Yeah, and um, in that context, I would point us to the Bible. Um, one of the, the models that I often give when people ask this very question, what, what can we do that's practical? Follow the steps of Nehemiah when he built the wall. You know, if you remember in that passage in Nehemiah and Ezra, as we're you know, seeing these leaders coming back, right? They, he's coming back to rebuild the walls. He was you know, allowed to come back. Um, what did he do when he first got back? He didn't just go pick up a hammer and start building. He went out. And he started to inspect and started to ask questions. What happened here? Where are we? Just look, looking to get a context, the lay of the land, to, to understand where are we before we started mm-hmm. to play. And then from there, right, then he signed jobs. And you know, he didn't just empower people to, to go and build. He enfranchised them. You own this section. You get this gate built, is what Nehemiah said. And, and however, whatever you need to do, here's the resources you need. You own this. Go get it done. And, and of course, they've, you know, they've encountered, you know, struggles and oppression and you know, you know different person they sure have to persevere is. through it you know it's a, it's a similar context i'm gonna come back to apply it mm-hmm. in a second and then lastly celebrate it at the end you know the, the, you know don't just get done and like all right bam got the wall up <laughs> you know they, they celebrated there's that moment in ezra where they brought out the law and they you know had that moment of you know just reconnection coming back you know so bringing it up to our context so what do you do you know as a leader coming into a, in an environment that's increasingly diverse as we're talking about whether it's the workspace or the church don't just come in and just start making decisions. Ask some questions. Take the time to listen. Well, that was, oh, that, that's a big key. Mm-hmm. You just said big key. Ask questions. But then what did you say next? Listen. No, you said take, take, some, oh, take some time, time yes. sorry, to sorry. listen. Because yes. that is really, as we have, I don't want to take away from No, no. Stop. We're talking with Arthur Satterwhite. Check him out online, arthursatterwhite.com. I mean, you can have more of these conversations with him right there. But I love that. Ask questions because mm-hmm. Jesus was great at asking questions, but he also was really good at listening. Yep. 
Go ahead. Take the take the rest of the conversation. Sure. So how how do we take the practical out of what Nehemiah did and what Jesus did with the woman at the well, where he mm. ministered to an entire Samaritan yep. community for multiple days? Come on. Yeah, I'd say the next step after you take the time to listen, um, I think too often we stop at just empowering people to go do something. So we're we're good at giving them a little bit of power. But uh, what we need to do, especially to un- if you want to understand the younger generation, they don't want just some power to go do it. They They want to own that. They want to leave a lasting legacy. They want to change the world. So enfranchise them to go do it. Come alongside mm-hmm. them in the process. But tell them you own that. You go do it. I'm going to give you the resources you need. I'm going to come alongside of you, support you, but you own that. Come alongside. Mentoring and discipleship. Mm-hmm. That's another way. That's a way to eliminate some of these generational boundaries. If we get the old people invested in young people by coming alongside of them and letting them lose to do come the on. thing, but be that wise yes. voice. Both men and women doing this across, that's within the church. That's what made the church great early on. Exactly. And then the next thing is persevere. Because you're going to mess up. You're going to say the wrong thing. <laughs> you're you're going to make a, a decision that rubs somebody the wrong way. Hey, somebody, you know, outside forces are going to come and tell you you're doing it all. Persevere. Don't give up when as soon as, you know, you hit that first wall, keep pushing through. I mean, Nehemiah, right, he said, look, if you need me to put people to guard you, to protect you so you can keep focused on the work, I'm going to give you everything you need to do it. And then we're going to persevere because we're going to get it done regardless. Hell, hell or high water, we're going to get this thing right. done. Um, and then lastly, celebrate it. Once you, once you accomplish it, once it's done, don't just move on to the next project, the next program, whatever it is. Don't just no, take a second. Stop. Call a, a, an assembly together and, and, and highlight not just the people, but you know, talk about the why that's behind it. Celebrate the Jesus that's in it. Um, that's they a had a thing. massive party when Come those on. walls were done. Come on. Uh, I mean, in the, it was just any 50 some days, they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem and hung back up the, and, and they celebrated because Come on. Cause God was at the center of what they did. Exactly. Young Life has the opportunity to celebrate that kind of success in kids' lives all the time. I mean, Absolutely. how many hundreds of thousands have gone through Young Life camps and groups? In, in the 78 years you guys have been around. Come on. We're right now, just this year alone, we're, we're reaching over a million people here in the U.S., over 1.3 million internationally. And we're on the front end of this. So we're, we're in the middle of a campaign called Forward where we're inviting our staff, but not just our staff, the people we're reaching to go deeper in Christ, uh, to go better together, to innovate as we do, and to grow so that we can see more and more kids. Our target is every kid. It's not just, hey, let's get to 50 million. It's every kid that we want to see in Christ. Is your most powerful content Context, the, the summer camps that kids get involved in or the weekly groups that you do, where is your most powerful place where you really get to invest in these kids' lives? I'd say it's all in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, camp is important because we like we like to say this is the, the most important. This is the, the best experience, best week in a kid's life. So it gets them out of their Yep, takes them out and you know, removes the, the distractions so they can just see and experience Jesus. Do you take them to a place where their cell phones won't work too? Is that part of the deal? I mean, a lot of the camps, the cell phone is not the greatest. So, <laughs> <laughs> And that's not all bad. No, no, it's not all bad. <laughs> um, but then you have just our time here. Uh, I would actually say, and I think most of the folks on staff would say it's actually the the local time so it's not even the club work we, yeah. where we do where we bring them together during the week or the campaigners work we do that which is good because we're you're going deep with jesus um i'd say the most impactful time and the most impactful work that we do is that leader on kid relationship that's happening on the basketball court in the school lunchroom you know at the library it's those times that you know, create the greatest connection to Christ for those young people. And where do they find out Young Life on, online? Where do they find it? What's the website? Uh, younglife.org. We like to keep it simple. You'll go there, visit us, and you can find a club near you. 
Younglife.org. I, I love the conversation. I really appreciate your honesty on this. We, we, we could do this much deeper. Maybe we need to do that in the future. But Arthur Satterwhite, thanks for talking to us about generational diversity, cultural diversity, some of the practical steps that we can take. Really appreciate your time with us today. Thank you, Arthur. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Check him out online, ArthurSatterwhite.com, ArthurSatterwhite.com. And Young Life, check out the Young Life for your youngsters in your life, younglife.org. You've been listening to our work for him with your host, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace, it's our mission field, but ultimately, I work for him. him.